I think sometimes uh, pregnancy centers have something in common with the my body, my choice uh, belief or movement. If you if you think about this, the my body, my choice movement basically says you have no role here. Um, if we need you, we'll let you know, especially if we need child support down the road. Uh, during this pregnancy, go away. You can't express an opinion, have no opinion. Uh, you can't tell her what you think. And then we'll have some centers where young men want to go get help and they walk in and they go with their partners and they want to be involved in some way. And they will walk into a center who will basically say, we have no services for you. Um, it's all about her. We're going to minister to her. We're going to take care of her. Sorry, but you know, this is even to the point of this is a women's ministry or we're just not equipped to minister to you. And he gets the same kind of uh, feeling or impression from a sinner as he does from the my body, my choice movement as you have no place here. So we have this generation of young men who are running around totally confused. Much of the pro-life movement is understandably focused on the pregnant woman. You'll hear us talk a lot about reaching her. But what about the father-to-be? What should we be doing for him? Welcome to Dear Jane. I'm your host, Scott Baker. There are thousands of pregnancy centers in the United States offering life-affirming health care to women. But what about men? Is it worth investing in any care or services for them? Today, I'm joined by Tony Trammell with Dadhood. Dadhood's mission is to help pregnancy resource centers establish and equip men's ministries. Tony, thanks for joining me today. How did you find your passion for mentoring fathers-to-be? It actually probably started in my church in the 90s. I just saw a need for uh, young men to be ministered to, and I didn't think we were doing a very good job of uh, discipling or mentoring. So I started working with young men in my church. And then uh, 1999, I was uh, asked to be part of uh, the uh, board of our local pregnancy center. And I saw pretty quickly that we were not reaching young men at all. Uh, expectant fathers were there. They were in the building, in the waiting room, but we weren't, we didn't have anything for them. So I kind of started moving that way. I started praying about it. And uh, 2001, I saw my first couple of clients, just a very informal uh, thing. And it really, you know, really fired up my passion to do that. And then 2003, um, I won't go into a lot of detail, but Lord opened the door for me to have to take a medical retirement. So when you pray for God to open a door, you better watch out what you're praying about because he will usually open that door from the opposite side of what you're thinking, what you're praying for. So in 2003, I got to become a full-time volunteer and start a men's ministry in our center from scratch. Uh, we didn't have 20 cents to uh, get started with. We just jumped in and... Um, I was in the in the center every day for seven years, and over the course of that time, um, wrote curriculum along the way because we didn't couldn't afford anything, and there was nothing out there at the time. You know, we're talking twenty years ago. There was just no um, nothing out there to help with young men. So I uh, learned a lot, and I started to uh, last couple of years. I was there two thousand eight, two thousand nine, even in two thousand ten. Had some centers. Um, calling or, or emailing me asking, you know, what are you doing? How'd you get started? That kind of thing. So I just kind of started to pray about that too. And I tried to look beyond the big picture and 
totally insisted to myself and God that I couldn't do more than what I'm doing now. You know, Lord couldn't use me doing that. So in 2010, I stepped back from that center and uh, I got a different kind of passion to try to help other pregnancy centers um, start men's ministries. And I took really a couple of years and just uh, edited and reorganized all the things that I had written over the course of all those years and just kind of started putting it out there. Um, and then uh, 2014, I went to my first Karenet conference and just started sharing some things. And Lord just started opening doors. It was absolutely nothing I did. I wasn't trying to kick doors down. Um, he just started opening doors for me to um, share my passion. And uh, um, my passion has grown from then and the ministry has grown from then. And, you know, here we are today talking state to state, Scott. So let's not, I mean, it might be obvious to, to some, but let's not assume. Why is it important that we reach these young fathers? Well, when I do trainings, I give six reasons. I won't, I won't give all six, but we have a, a real crisis in America of, of father absence. And uh, the side effects of that are just so widespread that I'm, I don't know that people even understand how widespread it is, the side effects. Um, but young men need to be reached out. Most of the young men uh, that we come in contact with through pregnancy centers are from father absent homes. And, you know, we've got between 18 and 20 million uh, kids in this country who are living in father absent homes. Um, so that's one thing we need to be able to reach men. And there's really, besides the church, there's no better place to reach uh, young men and expectant fathers than through a pregnancy center. And um, the immediate need when they come into a center is they're abortion minded. We want to you know stop that um, immediately. So. When they come into the center, um, there's different ways they can be reached, but to reach them with um, something that fits their need, not just their partner, or their girlfriend, uh, and also the, the wonderful opportunity to be able to share the gospel with them. Um, so if they, if they come in the door, which is hard to get them in the door, you have to be ready to serve them somehow. But there's so many uh, benefits to reaching them. So it's cyclical. Basically, you're saying a lot of these guys came from homes where the father was absent. And so yeah. so they're likely to follow that trend. Exactly. It's generational. And I, I've just seen it, you know, been around long enough to see that it's re, it repeats itself. And these young men today really have no uh, example of a positive um, male role model. Um, they're not saying it. They don't know how to be fathers. They don't know what a good father is. So many of these young men who, who come into centers want to be, they want to be good fathers. They want to break that cycle. They just have no idea how. Um, they're just confused and they're scared. And uh, our society today is just making it worse, um, you know, with with the description and the representation of fathers in media in our country today. It's just really hard for them to understand, you know, what what the good role is and what God's role is for them. You know, that's, that's an interesting point. That That is true. The way fathers are portrayed um, a lot of times anymore, you know, they're the dopes or they're, um, yeah. they're, they're, they're absent emotionally. If they, even yes. if they are physically there, yeah. um, well, that's, but that's a great, that's a great point. As I think about it, it whether it's commercials or movies yeah. or what have you, 
um fathers aren't represented well are we no and there's there's no respect shown to fathers at all how um badly we're, we are portrayed now sometimes it fits let's just be honest scott sometimes that fits but um the way we're being portrayed is has such a negative spin on these young men that it's uh, uh until you really talk to them it's really hard to understand all right so you say there are plenty of guys young men who want to be good fathers and i hope that that's true uh, so it's not just a case of the young women pulling these guys through the door, kicking and screaming. Some of them want to go come through. I, I, so, so help me understand how we get them through the door. Well, the big thing to overcome is, is the stigma of a pregnancy center. A lot of them say women's center on the title and on the sign. Um, and I titled a book by this, based on truth building dads in pink buildings now we're doing a much better job now of not having so much of a pink building we're having more neutral colors back in my day we had pink and mauve and all the pretty things in the waiting room you know that were aimed towards the girls but they see a pregnancy center as a pink ministry uh it's a place where girls go it's a place where female medicine happens uh there's no place there for for me so i'm not going to go in there but I've had young men in, back when I was in the center every day who happily came along because they wanted to be involved. But getting them past that, um, like I said, stigma of, of not understanding what the center is and center is not actively trying to reach them. Um, once you get them in the door, um, you, can, you can really work with them. I, I think sometimes that the, uh, the guys get a bad name that he's the bad guy in all this. Um, you know, he refuses to be part of it and that's, you know, and there are some out there like that, but that's not true. The majority that I've ever dealt with or that I hear about from other centers now, um, that he wants something, he wants to be involved. He just doesn't know where or how. Some of the studies I've seen seem to indicate that he can play perhaps the biggest role in determining the choice that is made. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with most centers today have ultrasound programs and the girls um, who may be abortion minded or abortion vulnerable, uh, if they see an ultrasound of their baby, about 80% of them choose life. Uh, a young man, if he's there to see the ultrasound, it's in the nineties. It's 90% plus that he will uh, choose life because, um, first of all, young men are so visually oriented that they actually see the baby. They hear the heartbeat. You know, they're into technology. Um, so this technology shows them. The young lady is known for, you know, quite a while now that she's pregnant. She has the symptoms. She understands it. He doesn't grasp it at all other than maybe her, you know, mood swings you know, hormonal changes that he's seeing, but he doesn't really grasp that this is really a life. It's this, this is really his child until he sees an ultrasound. Um, so that has a big part of it, but he is the biggest influence in her decision because um, many studies and personal experience and, and, you know, other centers that I've talked to over the years, they see that uh, she is, she is um, basing her decision on pressure from him 
to abort or lack of support that she sees from him. And that makes her abortion minded because she doesn't want to be alone. She's afraid she's going to be in this and, and by herself. And he's going to, to leave her. And quite often more and more, what I'm seeing is that it's just confusion because young men have been beaten down uh, by the, uh, you know, my body, my choice and our entire uh, media structure in this country that he's not even allowed to have a, an opinion, much less express it. So he is, he wants to be involved. He's afraid to, to show an opinion. So when she talks about abortion, he just backs off, you know, Hey, you know, it's your decision. And you talk to them and say, I'll just support her and whatever. And if you ask these young men, well, if it was your decision, what would you do? He said, I want to be a dad. I want to be a father. I, I wanted to carry the baby. Um, but he's afraid to say that because then he's the, the bad guy in all this. So these young men are just so confused and they don't know how to communicate their, their feelings or, or what they want to the young ladies. They're afraid to, it's just, uh, we've just taken a whole generation of young men and just beat them down uh, to the point. They don't understand what fatherhood is or what life is on some scale. Isn't that the truth? We have told men really of all ages, but certainly this generation of young men, you have no voice. That's you right. are not, you're not allowed to have a seat at the table. You're not allowed. And if, you know, even if you're the father here, you're not allowed to have an opinion. Right. And let's, that, let's express it. Yeah. And that is, oh, that's just, that that's just wrong. And, and so how do you, I mean, hopefully that's one of the things that is communicated to them is you absolutely do. I mean, you're, you're encouraged yeah. to. Yeah. And sometimes they just need to be able to talk to uh, what I call coaches in the centers, mentors or client advocates um, just to hear from a, a, another man or a man of some maturity, not just some buddy of theirs that they absolutely need to speak up. They absolutely have a, a role as a father and as a man in our society today to, to speak up and, and share an opinion. Um, they just need a little bit of clarity. You know, they're just so swamped in their circumstances. They can't see beyond uh, today, much less the big picture of this being uh, their son or their daughter. So you've crossed paths with thousands and thousands of guys over the years um, as they, you know, as they come in the door, is their primary concern? Is it money? Is it how am I going to care for this kid? Uh, generally, what is their primary worry or concern? Well, their concerns are more practical than the young ladies is, um, you know, she sees it through her health and being a, a single mom and all the maternal instincts. Whereas a guy like you, he, like you just said, he's looking at money. Um, the fear of raising a baby when he was from a father absent home, most likely over 90% of the young men who come in are, and he's just thinking very practically, I can't afford this. Um, I can't finish school or I can't start a career or um, I, I don't know how to take care of a baby. I know nothing about it. And he's thinking about the practical things, um, the pragmatic everyday decisions that he has to be facing. And it's just kind of beyond his uh, realm of understanding at that point in time. 
We're visiting with Tony Trammell from Dadhood, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the coaches. If you, if some, if a man is listening, thinking, you know what, maybe I have something to offer. Uh, we're going to talk about to the skills you might need, or maybe you don't need to be as skilled as you might think. Just maybe having a willingness to, to do it. We'll do it when we come back here on Dear Jane. Are you a pregnancy center or pro-life organization that wants to grow your life-saving mission in a way that effectively reaches women who need help? At Choose Life Promo, our ultimate goal is to help organizations empower women to choose life. We take our design and marketing expertise to the next level, creating apparel, videos, and other items that are eye-catching and attractive ripe with accurate information specifically for women that need support and spread awareness about your pregnancy center to donors and potential supporters at choose life promo our mission is to impact our culture to choose life through communication strategies grounded in both research and biblical values we want to give you promotional items that inspire donations and also educate the abortion-minded woman about your pregnancy center so she can receive the care and support she needs. Saving lives is always in style. Learn more at ChooseLifePromo.com. And we're back with Tony Trammell from Dadhood. We're talking about the, the role of young men uh, in making the decision to choose life and the importance of giving them the tools necessary and helping them in making that decision. Tony, you've been uh, coaching these guys for years and, and offering resources. And then you mentioned earlier the the role of coaches and, and equipping guys who who help these these men. What's it take to be a good coach? What kind of skills are necessary if if somebody's listening and saying, you know what, I might be able to mentor these guys? Uh, what does it take to do that? Well, I'm uh, I'm living proof, I think, that God's not really looking for ability so much as He's looking for availability. Um, first of all, you just have to have a willing spirit or willing heart. That's the big thing. Um, you know, I think if you're one of the ones who's thinking, maybe I could do that. What would it take to do that? Lord's already working on you to do that. Um, you just have to kind of follow that um, inkling that it could become a, a passion and see if that's where he would want you to be. Um, so I think it, it takes a desire to do it, obviously. Um, I don't think it takes any great skill. I think it takes some training. Um, I think sometimes that that centers will overlook the need for the men to have a specific training for them. They will have um, male coaches or male coaches to be go through a training that is really based on ministering to women. And I understand that they're just the way they're set up, especially if they're starting a new men's ministry. But I think he, he needs a little bit of training. He needs um, to really try to understand where where he fits in as far as his past you know everybody has their own story their own testimony um and i think i think god can use um anybody in that ministry uh from a different perspective you know i can't relate to some young men in certain ways that other men can um 
So I, I think that you need to, we need to pray about it. I think that uh, men are much more usable than they think they are. Um, I think that they can, uh, as I say, be trained and uplifted and given some tools uh, to work with and some curriculum and all these different things that it's not as hard as they think it is. They just, it's sometimes it's the great unknown to them. And I understand that because they're looking at the ministries as a pink building as well. Um, but I think that fear of the unknown keeps some men from, uh, from doing that and just being totally blessed by it. If they just kind of get beyond their comfort zone a little bit, that's probably a big, a big step to get them started. I'm going to use the modern day vernacular, but I think you know where I'm going with this. Does a coach need to look like the guys they're serving? Do they need to share a common background? Do they need to be, you know, do they have to have a similar backstory and all that kind of thing to be useful? I don't think so. You know, when I started this whole um, lifestyle, I don't know what you would call it. I was much younger and I just kind of had this mindset of, you know, it won't be too long. I'm going to be too old to do this. So I got to do it while I can. I have, I have found, I had that mindset. And the more I've talked to other people, the more I've learned and the longer I live that young men are just looking for a little bit of wisdom. Um, I don't think it's so much looking like them. I mean, if you do, that's fine. Uh, I don't think it's so much as, as having a, a similar, uh, background, a similar backstory, um, just as long as you're willing to be uh, honest about it. There, you know, there are some men who are post-abortive or who have been through what some of these uh, other young men have been through, um, you know, maybe even um, racial differences or economic differences, whatever it may be, uh, in that particular location, in that particular center. I think Lord can use anybody, and I don't think... Um, I don't think you have to look like them or be younger because I know a lot of men, uh, a lot of them are at the conference this year where we were at that uh, are older guys, retired guys, and they have the time, they have the desire. And I think uh, God can use them in great ways. And I've seen it. I think one of the biggest messages we have to somehow learn to convey. And by we, I mean, in this case, I mean, those of us who are, are fathers, we have to somehow convey the message that it is the one of the best experiences you'll have in your life. Absolutely. It is, it is daunting, sometimes challenging. Yeah. Always. It'll be very challenging. Sometimes maybe even maddening, <laughs> but it will be, it will be, if I, you know, just talking to this young man who was, you know, just got that deer in the headlights look, I can oh, yeah. only imagine you've been in that situation thousands of times, but I would, what I would say to him, it'll be one of the most fulfilling best experiences you will have in your entire life. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's, that would be the message that, you know, just trying to get across to them. Um, however you do that, you know, well, they, you know, they're looking at the immediate you know, right now at this point in time, I'm not ready to be a father. And I don't have the money to be a father and those kinds of things. Scott, you probably, I would think would probably agree with this. We're never ready to be a father. Yeah. You know, if we're waiting to the perfect time to be a father or waiting until we know it all, uh, you'll never have kids. Um, but you have to get beyond that immediate thought of right now 
and see that this is a blessing, that this goes way beyond today, uh, and it's a lifetime blessing. And like you say, there's nothing like it. And, you know, when you work with young men, you can try to explain to them how their life is going to change after their baby arrives. Uh, and you really can't convey it until they actually experience it. You know, until delivery day, they don't they don't really understand what you're trying to tell them. Then they get it, you know, but you have to try to encourage them to see beyond their immediate circumstances and be able to see uh, that babies and children are a blessing from God. And it's something to get excited about. It takes some doing if you can get these young men to keep coming back for, you know, more than one visit trying to get them enrolled in some kind of parenting or fatherhood program, whatever it may be. Um, it takes some time and some effort and some work to get them from the panic of a positive pregnancy test to the excitement of, I can't wait for my baby to arrive now. Um, but it, it gets done. It can be done. Um, they just don't understand how or where or anything like that yet. So then I guess the big question is what can should the pro-life movement be doing to help these young fathers come alongside just to support these young fathers or to better communicate with these young fathers, given that they do play such an important role in the decision, what can we be better doing as a movement to better support these young fathers? I think we need to truly understand that need. I think that there is a, a, a culture, not just in our society or culture overall. I think I have seen a, a culture within the pro-life movement of it's all about the girl. It's all about the girl. It's all about the baby. Um, and, you know, those who are pro-life, we get accused um, by those who are not pro-life of just saying, you just want to see the baby born and then you don't care. Um, I, under I understand that. I don't think that is the pro-life movement at all. As I know it, I don't think that's any pregnancy resource center I've ever seen. Um, but I do kind of see that when it comes to young men, that this is a women's ministry and it takes some um, new thinking, a new line of thinking by some in the pro-life ministry or in the pregnancy center uh, ministries that uh, he is important and he is needed. He is necessary that he has a God-given role here that will not only, um, you know, stop an abortion, not only uh, get him to embrace life, but also support her throughout the pregnancy. Um, you know, there's more studies out there that show that if he's engaged uh, from day one and, and you keep him engaged through the pregnancy, uh, that she has a healthier pregnancy, that uh, um, their relationship can grow, even the you know, they may not end up together. You know, your your hope and dream is that they will end up with the house with the little white picket fence and all those things. Vast majority of the time, it does not happen. But you can at least get them uh, set up to have a relationship that they have to have for the sake of their child. Um, so I think we need to do a better job, not only as a as a movement that how how important the father is and the role that he plays but even in the pregnancy centers um, to get beyond this belief that it's just about women. It's a women's center and it's a women's ministry and, you know, see this important, the importance of him, you know, 
this probably won't be popular, Scott, but I've not always been popular and not really concerned about it. But I think sometimes uh, pregnancy centers have something in common with the Me Too, my body, not Me Too, but my body, my choice, um, belief or movement. And people are going to say, oh, no, we don't. But if you if you think about this, the my body, my choice movement basically says you have no role here. Um, if we need you, we'll let you know, especially if we need child support down the road. Uh, during this pregnancy, go away. You can't express an opinion, have no opinion. Uh, you can't tell her what you think. And then we'll have some centers where young men want to go get help and they walk in and they go with their partners and they want to be involved in some way. And they will walk into a center who will basically say, we have no services for you. Um, it's all about her. We're going to minister to her. We're going to take care of her. Um, sorry, but you know, this is even to the point of this is a women's ministry or we're just not equipped to minister to you. And he gets the same kind of uh, feeling or impression from a sinner as he does from the my body, my choice movement as you have no role here. You have no place here. So we have this generation of young men who are running around totally confused. They have no positive uh, male role model. They have no um, voice, no place in in our society as far as a father. And then quite often they go into a pregnancy center and they have no role there. They have no services there. So we're basically kicking them back out into the street and then expecting them, you know, eight, nine months from now to be this great father. Um, and they're just totally confused. And I think that's the most common thing you will see of young men who come into centers is uh, they're scared, of course, and they're nervous and things like that, but they're just confused as to what their role is. And if there's no place reaching out to them, they're lost. And we we lose them, um, you know, two months into the pregnancy. And we've lost them for, for six or seven months. We can't just put them on the shelf and expect them to um, step up and understand it all and be this uh, great father and this great partner in this pregnancy uh, when the baby's born. That's that's why I try to um, convey to pregnancy centers the need for a men's ministry and the need for a men's ministry to be from the moment of a positive test and not just after he's already a dad. Um, that there's a gap there, I think, in our country today that can only be filled um, through, a, through an active understanding pregnancy center dadhood.org is the website if you want to access resources to help train these young men to help coach them up dadhood.org you can check that out tony trammell appreciate the time thanks for joining us here today on dear jane absolutely been an honor thank you for inviting me the emotions and fears women face with unexpected pregnancies are very real and can feel overwhelming they're not looking for another person to impress their view upon them or tell them the choice is simple. They're looking for hope in a world of despair, confusion, and doubt. For the pro-life movement to truly achieve its goal of a culture of life, we must be able to reach the abortion-minded woman effectively. We have to be that beacon of light that understands her fear and confusion and empowers her with the confidence necessary to choose life. But how do we really reach her? Enter the Choose Life Coalition. 
We exist to help provide organizations and legislators with the tools to effectively reach and equip the abortion-minded woman, empowering her with the hope and confidence to choose life in post-Roe America. Learn more at ChooseLifeCoalition.org and receive the training, support, marketing, and other resources you need to successfully understand, reach, and serve her. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Bo Heyman with First Care in Palm Beach County, Florida. First Care operates some of the fastest-growing women's clinics in America. Bo has been in the pro-life movement for over 16 years. One change he's seen is the attitude shift of the women they serve. If you go back 15 years ago, they weren't as hard-hearted as they are now. Like a lot of the women now, it used to be the ultrasound was kind of like, that'll do it. That'll push them over the edge. As soon as they see that baby, they're going to want to choose life. Now, I feel like we show them ultrasounds and they're like, yep, I always knew it was a baby. Bo says when a woman first visits a clinic, meeting her own needs is her primary concern. The number one tension that our moms face is my life versus baby's life. Which one is worth more? What do I? What am I going to have to give up in order to have that child? And as they become more self-focused, we have to spend more time focusing on trying to meet their emotional needs to prepare them to have that child rather than just saying, hey, let's meet some of your physical needs and everything else will be okay. As for keys to success, Bo constantly reminds his team to focus on what they can control. We're going to counsel as many women as we can, as effectively as we can. We're going to do everything that we can, but we're going to leave the results up to God. And so that is my perspective. That is the perspective of everyone on my team. It's not up to us whether these women choose life or not. We're going to control the things that we can control. And that is our marketing efforts, our counseling efforts, how well we answer the phone, and everything in between. Just like every pregnancy center director, Bo sometimes gets frustrated by the litany of lies being told about pregnancy centers. He says there are a couple of things to keep in mind when it comes to responding. Make sure they are untrue for you and your clinic. Make sure that you have a medical director. Make sure that you've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's. Make sure that you have um, good policies and procedures. Make sure that you have all of the record keeping that you're supposed to have. If you've chosen to be HIPAA compliant or required to be, be HIPAA compliant. So make sure that the things that they're telling about you that we claim are lies are actually lies. So that's one. The second thing I would say is realize the motivation behind the people telling the lies. You know, a lot of times we will change our ministries in order to kind of cater to the complaints of the other side. This is a huge mistake. And the reason for this is they're not complaining out of any kind of sincerity. They're not complaining about us to give us new ideas about how we can be more effective. They're complaining about us. They're telling lies about us because they hate us. They want to destroy us. They want to discredit us. They don't want women to come to us ever. So if I start changing my ministry to respond to criticism by someone who hates me, I'm playing right into their hands. So what I do is I, and what we do as an organization, we say, what is important to us? What are our core values? What are our distinctives? What are we going to do? And what are we going to care about? And if someone comes and says, well, you only care about babies before they're born. You don't care about them after they're born because you're not providing college scholarships. I say, you know what? That is untrue. We know what we care about. So you can question our motivations, but we'll show you with our actions what it is that we care about. 
My thanks once again to Tony Trammell with Dadhood. If you'd like to learn more about the resources available for fathers-to-be, you can check out their website at dadhood.org. The pro-life movement does have some work to do when it comes to encouraging young men to be involved in an unplanned pregnancy. These guys are being trained that they should have no opinion in the matter whatsoever. Their only role is to provide money when told. At the same time, studies show that the woman welcomes the feedback, opinion, and support of her partner. And when that happens, a choice for life is much more likely. But it's going to take men mentoring men, and it may have to happen in the clinics originally designed for women. Thank you for listening to Dear Jane. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also check out our website at dearjane.org. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition.